It was a warm spring night in May 1962. A crew of volunteer firefighters arrived at a local landfill on the edge of a small Pennsylvania town called Centralia. But they weren't there to put out a fire. They were there to start one. Many of Centralia's residents had complained about the new landfill, which had been built just months before. With Memorial Day coming up and a ceremony planned nearby, the town was displeased. The ugly and odorous dump might distract from their holiday festivities. So the firefighters were tasked with making the location more presentable by shrinking it with fire. The firemen and their crew used a wheel loader to organize the trash. Then they piled dried paper on top so it would burn easily. They lit a match and watched as heaps of garbage crumbled into flames. Once the trash had smoldered down, the crew doused it with water and went home to their families. They believed their job was done. What they didn't know was that there was a hole at the bottom of that landfill, a large opening that connected it to the maze of decades-old mine shafts below. And once the fire reached those mines, there was no stopping it. No one knows why the massive hole wasn't sealed. The town had supposedly performed a rigorous inspection to make sure this wouldn't happen. It might have been incompetence, bad luck, or a lack of oversight. Or it could have been completely intentional. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on the Centralia Fire, a devastating mine blaze that turned a once thriving coal community into a ghost town. No one is exactly sure how the fire started or why the authorities failed to put it out. It's been a raging debate for nearly 60 years, which endures to this day. This episode will explore the history of Centralia, Pennsylvania. We'll learn about the origins of coal mining in the area and the battles between the miners and their employers. Then we'll discuss the fire that brought the town to its knees. Next time, we'll explore various theories about the fire, like if it actually started decades before it was discovered. We'll also consider whether the town's bureaucratic incompetence was to blame, or if it was a government conspiracy to steal the town's most precious resource. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. 
Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Centralia Valley in eastern Pennsylvania was once a sprawling wilderness, an untamed stretch of steep mountains and dense forest. It was ripe with resources and opportunity. In the early 18th century, this part of Pennsylvania became a hotbed for conflict, primarily between European colonists and Native American peoples. Over the decades, British settlers pushed further west into Pennsylvania. In response, the Native Americans formed the Iroquois Confederacy and tried to negotiate for their land. They were unsuccessful, and the colonists continued to push past established borders. With fewer men, resources, and weapons, the indigenous people had limited options. They didn't want to go to war. But they did want something in exchange for their land. So they sold it off to the colonists for cash. In 1749, a large tract, including the Centralia Valley, was sold to the British for 500 pounds, just a little over $150,000 today. At that time, no one understood the true value of the land. Neither the British nor the Native Americans knew that there was hidden treasure beneath this region of Pennsylvania. Until 41 years later, in 1790, when a lumberman named Nicho Allen is said to have made camp for the night in the mountains near Centralia. When he woke the next morning, Allen made a startling discovery. Allen's campfire should have gone out during the night, but somehow it continued to blaze, even with the wood gone. When Allen looked closer, he discovered a vein of dense burning rock that descended deep into the ground. Alan was sitting on something as rare and valuable as gold. 
he'd stumbled upon a new kind of coal. This rock became known as anthracite coal. It was harder, burned cleaner, and produced far more energy than other forms. The discovery of anthracite coal played a huge role in the Industrial Revolution. As the premier source of domestic fuel, anthracite was 19th century America's dream. Word spread quickly. The hills of Pennsylvania were rich with this black gold. Enterprising businessmen raced to the rural areas of the state, looking to make a fortune in the growing industry. The population in rural Pennsylvania exploded as people rushed in from coastal cities. Within a few decades, the area was transformed from a remote wilderness to an industrialized state. At first, the mining boom reached almost everywhere except Centralia. Even compared to similar areas, the valley was extremely remote. There were no railroads nearby, and transporting coal on horseback was unfeasible. For years, it remained one of the few untouched regions of Pennsylvania. But there was too much coal underneath Centralia for mining companies to ignore it. In 1842, the Locust Mountain Coal and Iron Company bought up the land and built a new railroad, finally giving the outside world access. The coal industry had arrived in the Centralia Valley. Locust built a small town in the area with the help of mining engineer Alexander Ree. Ree was certain it could be the capital of coal mining in Pennsylvania. He mapped out expansive streets and commercial lots and envisioned new houses and buildings. Perhaps not wanting to rock the boat, he named his new town Centralia. People from the east flocked to Centralia, attracted by its growing infrastructure. The town became a bustling community with five hotels, two jewelry stores, and about 26 saloons. While there was various work to be had around town, coal mining was probably the most physically demanding, not to mention dangerous. Miners spent their days hundreds of feet below the earth, hollowing out narrow tunnels and hauling coal back to the surface, usually on carts or by hand. The job was incredibly risky. Tunnels could collapse, the chemicals they used could explode, and mines could flood if the pumping or drainage systems broke. Most miners didn't know if they'd return home to their families for supper. Fires were also common. Mines often had furnaces at the bottom of the shaft which could ignite the tunnels around it. Many coal miners died of smoke inhalation, burns, and suffocation. It seemed an unlivable career for the low wages. Mine workers in the 19th century were paid around $30 a month, less than $900 today. But the work was steady, which was what a lot of new settlers desperately needed. Many Irish immigrants moved to Centralia in search of jobs. These were families who had escaped the potato famine, which had left Ireland's population devastated and starving. To them, the United States was a land of new opportunity. With so many new immigrants in America, there was stiff competition for jobs everywhere. Many Irish people weren't able to find opportunities in coastal cities like New York, so they moved further inland to Pennsylvania. They gravitated toward coal mining because it wasn't seen as a skilled profession. 
All it required was a willingness to work in dangerous conditions. But the huge influx of Irish people in Pennsylvania led to tension within the community. English and Welsh immigrants didn't look kindly on the Irish and were worried they might steal their jobs. Religious tension encouraged hostilities too. The English Americans were usually Protestant Christians, while the Irish were mostly Catholic. As a result, the Irish were shunned from schools, social clubs, and politics in Pennsylvania. In the mines, they were often given the most dangerous jobs and paid the least. They were vilified as untrustworthy criminals and stereotyped as alcoholics. Even age-old work disputes from England persisted. Some companies had used Irish workers as low-paid scabs, sent in whenever English miners went on strike. That bias persisted in America. The English suspected the Irish might repeat history by betraying them and crossing the picket line. The mining companies harnessed that fear and used it against their employees. They constantly threatened to replace uncooperative English workers with cheaper Irish labor, which only escalated the rift. In the face of constant discrimination and bigotry, some Irish miners fought back. Back in Ireland, they'd formed a secret organization of vigilantes who often relied on violence to achieve their goals. They were called the Molly Maguires, and they'd soon make their mark on America. The Molly Maguires came together in the early 19th century with a simple mission, protect the working-class Irish against the oppression of the wealthy and the English. At first, it was just the Irish coal miners who joined the Molly Maguires in Pennsylvania, but over time, ethnic tension between miners faded. Differences were pushed aside in favor of uniting over a shared enemy, their bosses. The Molly Maguires reportedly used bullying and aggression to protect the laborers' interests. In reply, their employers, the general public, and a handful of other miners saw them as criminals and terrorists. As their actions became more violent, the negative reputation of the Maguires grew. On the morning of October 17, 1868, Centralia's founder, Alexander Ree, was ambushed by a group of four Molly Maguires. They were upset about their low wages and wanted to steal the company's weekly cash. But Reed didn't have the money on him, potentially enraging his attackers even more. When the Maguires realized Reed might later identify them, they shot him six times and killed him. Because of Reed's death, tensions rose even higher between miners and mine owners in Centralia. The companies were convinced that the Molly Maguires were a threat to their business. Meanwhile, employees believed they were using the Maguires as an excuse to lower their wages even more. The cycle of violence continued. In 1869, the Maguires allegedly beat up a Centralia priest after he denounced the organization. According to local legend, the priest then placed a curse on the town of Centralia. He predicted that one day, his church would be the only thing in town left standing. By 1875, the miners had had enough corporate abuse. They began forming their own labor unions. 
In retaliation, the companies cut the miners' wages by up to 20%. Outraged, the workers finally went on strike. Centralia became a battlefield as miners fought against their employers on the picket line. Without any open coal operations or income for the miners, it appeared as if Centralia was on the verge of collapse. The industry that had given the town life now threatened to tear it apart. Coming up, mining companies try to strong-arm the Maguires. Robbing trains, rustling cattle. Pop culture usually depicts the Old West as an uncharted land with no rules. But how much of that is true? Now you can find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales in the Spotify original from ParCast, Wild Wild West. Every Thursday on Spotify, settle up to the saloon to hear about the American frontier's most ruthless outlaws and heroic gunslingers. Wild Wild West features a compilation of episodes from shows across ParCast Network and focuses on the legends that help shape American culture. From sharpshooters and explorers to family feuds and lost treasure, the West has a history more complex than you know. Don't be a yellow belly. Follow Wild Wild West free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. In 1875, coal miners throughout rural Pennsylvania went on strike to protest low wages. But the corporations fought back with a vengeance. The small community of Centralia was one of the most prominent hubs of conflict during this labor dispute. The strike stretched on for months, growing increasingly hostile by the week. In an effort to keep the peace, Mine companies hired their own private police forces to patrol Pennsylvania's anthracite region. But the companies also armed their own group of vigilantes known as the Modocs. They were hired to fight and kill those behind the strike. In the summer of 1875, the Modocs besieged a local union meeting. They opened fire on the attendees, killing at least one coal worker. In the surrounding weeks, the Modocs murdered several other leaders of the union in a wave of company-sanctioned violence. To the Molly Maguires, this signaled war. After cornering one Modoc member in a horse stable, the Maguires shot him multiple times and left him for dead. Despite all this, the Modocs survived. Another morning, the Maguires intercepted one of the mine company's superintendents on his way to work. This time, the Maguires made sure to shoot and kill him. The Modocs got the message, only to retaliate yet again. Modocs invaded the home of a Molly Maguire member and left a massacre in their wake. They shot the accused member 18 times, then attacked his mother 
and murdered his 20-year-old pregnant sister. All of this was apparently to scare the miners into returning to work, but that didn't happen. The mining companies reeled, looking for another tactic. They decided on espionage. Private eyes from the Pinkerton Detective Agency were hired to infiltrate the Molly Maguires. They informed local police of their criminal activity. More than 60 members of the Molly Maguires were arrested for violent crimes. Despite questionable evidence and unreliable testimonies, 20 of the accused were convicted and executed for their involvement. In light of the criminal proceedings, the Molly Maguires fell quickly. They were no longer a powerful force to be reckoned with. The strike ended after nearly seven months in July 1875, defeated the miners' return to work. None of their demands for safety or higher pay had been met. Meanwhile, the coal industry grew exponentially as demand increased. Centralia's coal supplied electricity and heat to buildings across the nation. As a result, the town's population swelled to around 2,800 people. But more people meant more opportunities for conflict to erupt. With nothing resolved from the first strike, miners from Centralia and other areas of Pennsylvania went back to the picket lines in 1902. Although this time, they had support from other labor unions, such as the powerful Knights of Labor. It was a dispute serious enough for President Theodore Roosevelt to get involved. He worried that if the strike continued, there wouldn't be enough coal to keep the American people warm throughout the winter. Roosevelt called a meeting with the union leaders and mine company owners. Eventually, the two sides came to a compromise, ending the strike. The workers got a small pay raise and a nine-hour workday, one hour shorter than before. The mining continued, keeping America's lights on. It seemed as if the coal boom was unstoppable. From 1870 to 1900, the population of the United States had doubled from 38 million to 76 million. More people needed power and heat than ever before, and the demand for coal had skyrocketed. By 1917, 100 million tons of coal were being shipped from Pennsylvania mines. As the major hub of mining in the area, Centralia was thriving. But trouble was about to disrupt the industry once again. In 1917, the United States entered into World War I. When many Centralia miners either enlisted or were drafted, there was hardly anyone left to keep the mines running. And by the time the war had ended, coal had a new competitor, oil. The combination of war, along with the booming oil industry, caused a major downturn in Centralia's economy. With mining jobs drying up, many families decided to move elsewhere. The town's population declined by almost two-thirds. And just when it seemed like things couldn't get any worse, the Great Depression settled in. After the stock market collapsed in 1929, the global economy went into a tailspin. 25% of Americans found themselves unemployed. Businesses closed and people struggled to make ends meet. Centralia felt this too. Five of the town's mines closed, putting thousands of people out of work, 
And yet another disaster was on the brink for Centralia just a few years later. In 1933, one of the mines still in operation suffered a gas explosion. A massive underground fire broke out. The only way to prevent it from spreading, the owners decided, was to flood the mine. Though the fire was eventually put out, the mine became inoperable. Centralia's mining was left with a handful of smaller operations, meaning even less work for the townspeople. It was as if the priest's curse from 1869 was still around to haunt them. Unemployed and desperate, many of the town's former coal workers turned to less than legal means to make money. The most popular way was through bootleg mining. Some closed mines still held plenty of valuable coal inside. Bootleggers would sneak in and steal a share. Then they'd sell that bootleg coal on the open market. They priced their product at a much lower cost than other coal companies, undercutting some of their former bosses. In truth, bootlegging hardly paid well. The average was about $2.50 a day, or around $45 in today's money. At least it was enough to feed their families. The consequences of bootleg mining went deeper, though. Literally. It made the mines beneath the town far more dangerous. Mining operations often left large columns of coal standing as structural support. With some of the tunnels cleaned out and empty, the bootleggers targeted these pillars as easy places to siphon coal. But as the pillars were whittled down, the structural integrity of the mine weakened. Tunnels often collapsed after bootleg miners chipped away at their foundations. The structures became incredibly fragile, and many of them caved in without anyone above even realizing it. The smallest disturbance, like, say, an earthquake or a construction project, could cause a chain reaction. A tunnel collapse could kill a miner still inside. More dangerous scenarios meant sinkholes in the ground above could open, threatening the lives of Centralia residents. Not to mention, collapsed mines were extremely susceptible to fires. If a fire started in those mines, the effects could be catastrophic. Mine fires are dangerous for a few reasons. In addition to tunnel collapses and sinkholes, they also send toxic gases spewing from the ground. The biggest concern is carbon monoxide, an odorless, colorless gas that can go completely unnoticed as it spreads. It poisons humans, causing confusion and brain damage. Under too much exposure, it can result in death. Mine fires are also very difficult to fight. There's enough oxygen in some old mines for a fire to survive for weeks and months, or even years. Rarely does flooding the entire mine with water extinguish a fire completely. And they're even harder to fight in anthracite coal mines, like the ones in Centralia. Anthracite is more combustible and burns for longer. Little did Centralia residents know that the mines that once provided them jobs and security were now an imminent danger. Abandoned by corporations and weakened by bootleggers, the mines were a disaster waiting to happen. Coming up, a single spark starts the 60-year fire. Now back to the story. 
Centralia's coal market never fully recovered after the Great Depression. Oil prevailed as America's main fuel source. By the 1950s, only a few mines were still in operation in Centralia. Most of the jobs were gone, and the town's population was dwindling. The residents of Centralia took control of what little coal was left. They purchased the land back from the corporations and leased the right to operate the mines to other companies. The town made just enough money to stay afloat. By 1962, about 1,400 people remained in Centralia. Quiet and quaint, it was far from the rough-and-tumble boom town it was during the 19th century. Centralia had also come a long way from the hotspot it was when the Maguires and Modocs battled for control. For the families who'd lived there for generations, Centralia was home. They had no plans to leave. Smaller issues now occupied town politics, like the need for a new landfill. In 1962, the old landfill near Centralia needed to close due to state regulations. Without it, locals started illegally leaving their trash in one of the many abandoned mine shafts in the area. As you can imagine, this caused major odor problems. The town city council found a simple solution. One of the abandoned mine pits would be repurposed. So in March 1962, the town went through the motions to make it a suitable landfill. The most important task was making sure the pit was properly sealed. State inspectors mandated that every hole be filled with incombustible material, something that couldn't catch fire or explode. They had to be certain that fires couldn't spread into the mine shafts below. So the town council dutifully filled the holes. Or so they said. The new landfill opened in March 1962. But within two months, the Centralia Town Council realized residents weren't quite satisfied with the results. Memorial Day was approaching, and the town honored it each year with a parade that ended at the town cemetery. Only two months after opening, the landfill had become a major eyesore. The people of Centralia, committed to their patriotism, complained about piles of trash distracting from their Memorial Day proceedings. So the city decided to clean it up before the holiday. On May 27, 1962, three days before Memorial Day, a small crew of construction workers and firemen arrived at the landfill in Centralia to take care of the complaint. Instead of cleaning it out manually, they set the garbage on fire. As far as they knew, nothing could get through to the mines below. Once the trash burned down, the firefighters doused it with water. After the flames were gone, they packed up their equipment and went home for the night. But that fire wasn't out. Underneath the small amount of remaining garbage and ash, hot cinders continued burning. The fire was alive and spreading. Two days later, on the evening of May 29th, people saw smoke rising from the landfill again. Firefighters arrived, making a second attempt at dousing the flames. They ran water over the dump for five whole hours. But even that didn't do the trick. The fire raged on. 
In mid-June 1962, Centralia's town council couldn't disregard the smoke or smell coming from the dump any longer, so they made a third concerted effort to put the fire out. This time, the firemen dug even deeper into the trash pile, trying to find exactly where the fire was blazing. That's when they discovered something horrifying. There was a giant hole about 15 feet wide at the bottom of the pit, one that hadn't been plugged by the city after all, and it led directly to the mine shafts below. Maybe the town council had missed this massive hole when they first constructed the landfill. Or they knew it was there and ignored it for a reason. Despite the imminent danger, Centralia's city council was slow to react. They certainly didn't treat the fire with the urgency it required. In fact, they continued dumping trash in the landfill, literally adding fuel to the fire. In July 1962, the state's regional dump inspector visited Centralia for a routine check-in. That's when he saw what the town council had been hiding. There was still smoke emanating from the trash pile. And once the inspector ran a carbon monoxide test, he confirmed the worst possible scenario. The mines underneath the landfill were now completely on fire. The possibilities of what could come next were terrifying. Sinkholes, poisonous gas leaks, explosions on the town's surface. The council had to do something, and it would take a massive effort. To extinguish the fire, they'd need to dig deep into the mines. This was at the risk of giving the fire more oxygen, which could cause it to spread. They also had to find every single leak in order to cut off the fire's supply of oxygen. Unfortunately, there were thousands, maybe millions of cracks that led to the surface. Plugging every one would take huge amounts of manpower, equipment, and money. In the face of these difficulties, the town council chose a controversial approach do nothing. Even though it was their landfill, it was technically outside the town's borders. The council decided it was no longer their jurisdiction and wiped their hands clean. As far as they were concerned, it was the state of Pennsylvania's issue now. Efforts to fight the blaze became mired in bureaucratic machinations. The state, the town, and the original mining company negotiated over who'd do the work and who'd pay for the expensive operation. By the time the terms were settled and the excavation work began in August 1962, the toxic fumes had already reached alarming levels. Lethal amounts of carbon monoxide filled the empty spaces underground. Citizens worried that it was seeping into the town's air, killing them slowly. The last remaining mines in the area were forced to close, the businesses that had built Centralia shuttered their doors for good. By spring 1963, the fire had spread over 700 feet throughout the mines. The town and the state decided to abandon the fire. Too much money had been spent, and there was no resolution in sight. In the meantime, the citizens of Centralia had to live with the devastating effects. 
1979, a gas station owner in Centralia noticed steam escaping from the cracks in a neighboring lot. When state officials arrived, they checked his underground gas tanks. The ideal temperature should have been 55 degrees Fahrenheit. His tanks were at 122 degrees. They were on the verge of exploding. The man's business was forced to close and his gas was removed. The fire was now spreading under the town of Centralia itself, burning directly below their feet. On Valentine's Day 1981, nearly 19 years after the fire began, a 12-year-old boy from Centralia was outside his home, and he too noticed smoke rising from the pavement. When he got closer, the ground collapsed. The boy fell into a 150-foot-deep sinkhole surrounded by hot rock, mud, and a lethal volume of carbon monoxide. He managed to grab onto a tree root while he screamed for help. A cousin rushed outside and pulled him from the sinkhole. Miraculously, the boy was unharmed. After this accident, the townspeople realized that living in Centralia was far too dangerous. If no one was going to extinguish the fire, then it was time for them all to leave. In 1984, after several more years of political infighting and negotiation, the federal government gave $42 million to relocate the people of Centralia. Almost all of the town's 1,000 residents accepted the relocation fee and left. Although there were a handful of people who refused to go. In 1992, the governor of Pennsylvania invoked eminent domain, or the right of the government to claim private land. They condemned all of the buildings in Centralia, including the homes where some stubborn residents still lived. In 2013, the final seven residents signed a deal with the state. They were allowed to live out their lives there as long as they understood the risks. Today, the mine fire still rages beneath Centralia. It's reached depths of nearly 300 feet and stretches over eight miles. There's no way to tell when the fire will stop burning or if it ever will. Next time, we'll dive into three conspiracy theories surrounding the Centralia mine fire. One suspicion is that the fire was set by private coal companies and government officials to drive the residents out of the town. Then they plan to take the still valuable coal for themselves. Another theory is that the fire actually started decades earlier, following a mineshaft explosion. It was never properly extinguished by the coal companies, and it spread slowly until it was noticed in the Centralia landfill. Finally, some people believe the town council dumped hot coals onto the landfill just before Memorial Day 1962. Combined with the warm weather, the coals caused the fire, and the city tried to hide their own culpability in creating the disaster. No one knows for sure what started the Centralia mine fire. The official story, that the fire began accidentally in 1962, doesn't sit well with many former residents. To them, it seems suspicious, especially paired with the half-hearted attempts to extinguish it. Many wonder if something more insidious was at play, maybe even dating back to the beginning 
of Centralia itself. Thanks again for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with part two of the Centralia Fire. For more information on the Centralia Mine Fire, amongst the many sources we used, we found Fire Underground, the ongoing tragedy of the Centralia Mine Fire by David DeCook, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Bairley, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Hey, partners, it's Carter from Parcast. You've probably heard stories about outlaw Jesse James, sharpshooter Annie Oakley, and the horrors of the Donner Party. But how much of what you've heard is actually true? Find out on my new series, Wild Wild West, where I head out on the frontier to find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Wild Wild West, every Thursday, free, and only on Spotify.